Welcome to the Pineapple Couch with B-Rob. Today is Monday, April 12th, and this is episode 89, a loaded show for you folks today. First, I'm going to be joined by Peter Gonzalez to talk about Falcon in the Winter Soldier, episode 4. Good time, you're not going to want to miss that. Then I'll be joined by Big Dog and Stephen Young to talk about a little MLB, a little Fernando Tatis, Padres throwing a no-hitter. And then lastly, I'll be joined by Mitchell Rincon, Tim Hall, and Big Dog to do a 2000s indie rock alternative music draft. Let's ride. All right, welcome back to the Pineapple Couch. Uh, this is episode 89, and I am going to be joined by Peter Gonzalez to talk about Falcon and the Winter Soldier episode four. Only two episodes left after this most recent one, which was t- titled The Whole World is Watching, a thriller of an episode, one of the most memorable still frames or shots in the history of the MCU it happens at the end of it, and we'll be sure to talk about that. Um, so let's get into it. Uh, Peter, how you doing, my friend? I am doing great. I'm excited to talk about this episode, which I think really was a, a definitive one for the show going mm-hmm. forward. Granted, we have six episodes to work with, but I feel like episode four really kind of threw all the pieces where they need to go. Yeah, I think it. Um, I thought I think I said last week that episode three was really peak Disney Plus for me. This I think picked it up almost a little as well. I really enjoyed the ending of this series, and I think why I'm saying it's peak Disney Plus is just because this just feels so much like a movie. So much like a Captain America type movie. So I'm really enjoying that. Um, Yeah. So let's get into the opening here, Peter. It opens in Wakanda six years ago. And we see Ao helping cure Bucky or get out, get the Winter Soldier programming out of him. Um, She ends up reading the Winter Soldier words that usually like triggered him. And um, Bucky is terrified, telling her not to do it. It's not going to work. You can see a lot of emotion, some tears, some real fear. But then it works, and Ao tells him that you are free. And Bucky, in an all-time moment, I mean, he starts breaking down, crying. You see how much pain that this has all caused him. And honestly, if you think about it, Bucky is a upstanding, great dude who goes and fights for his country and then gets tortured and is brainwashed for 80 years, and he's finally getting out of it. And I thought Sebastian Stan did a great way of showing the pain that that would put someone through. What did you think of that, Peter? Oh, 100%. I just feel like it was just seeing in his face with him speaking. You're just seeing how it was so expertly woven in with the flashbacks from the different movies. And um, it just kind of showed, you know, like we said, his journey that he's gone on. And I think, again, this show really, these shows on Disney Plus really are letting the actors breathe into the characters and really letting them explore more about them. And, and they're able to grow. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, the character development, I think some people may be bored with Disney Plus right now, but I think this type of stuff, I'm not obviously, but the type of character development they're laying for these characters from Wanda and Vision to Bucky and Sam, and obviously we're going to be getting new projects of characters we haven't met. I think down the road in the MCU, when you have events like Avengers Endgame, Infinity War, that will really pay off when there's a much more, you know a lot more about the characters, you're much more familiar with them. So I think that will be cool. Um, and so this takes us back to uh, after that flashback from Wakanda, we go to present day with Bucky and Ao in the uh, alleyway and where that wherever are they in Munich? I think Latvia, um, Latvia. Okay, and um, 
She can't believe Bucky has freed Zemo. Um, she reminds him that Zemo murdered King T'Chaka, the man who picks her to be uh, Dora Milaje, and she doesn't. She tells Bucky she doesn't understand the shame and the pain that is involved with him passing away. Um, and Bucky basically goes like, Zemo is a means to an end, and Io is not happy about it, but she gives him eight hours. So Peter, we are to assume that Bucky has built up some sort of goodwill with the people of Wakanda where he's getting these eight hours. If he was just sent to Wakanda and they fixed him and that's it, maybe they don't do this, but it seems like he might have done something to really gain their trust, become that white wolf to get the eight hours. Did that jump out to you or am I seeing things? No, it totally jumped out because it felt like there was that, there was more to the, there weren't just, there was more to the characters. They had this understanding. Mm -hmm. I like how he mentioned Shuri also. I thought that was a nice inclusion of a character that we know is, really much one of the geniuses of the MCU mm-hmm. and I like that once again they're kind of, because I feel like these little mentions will pay off in future projects and I think this connection that Bucky has with Wakanda might end up playing off in Black Panther 2 mm-hmm. yeah um, so let's go now we have uh, Bucky meets back up with Sam and Zemo and they find out about the bomb and Carly did at the end of last episode I believe three people were killed and 11 were injured um, and Zemo is what his whole idea or philosophy this episode is about supremacy. He compares the Nazis to supremacists, even compares the Avengers to supremacists. And um, he tells Bucky and Sam that um, Carly is a supremacist and that the serum leads to supremacy and it will eventually corrupt her. Sam says she's just a kid. And um, that really reminded me of when Steve... And it was uh, Ultron or Civil War. I believe it was Ultron, the way he would defend Wanda. Perfect callback. Yeah, I mean, because they see, they are seeing the humanity beneath these people that are being quick to be written off. The the little things they're doing in the series to compare Steve and Sam, chef's kiss. It's so, it's so subtle, too. That, like first watch i don't think that really jumped out at me of she's just a kid and then on that second watch you're like holy fuck this is exactly what steven wanda that sort of thing so you just love to see it we're seeing why falcon would be such a great captain america um and in the midst of this conversation about the super soldier serum and supremacy and it corrupting you bucky says the serum never corrupted steve and i think this next line that zeno zemo gives is insanely important and actually kind of almost shocking but it's it needed to happen and zemo says touche to the serum never corrupting steve but he says but there's never been another steve rogers has there and so one he's making an incredible point of yes like there has not been another steve rogers but two we're also seeing that little respect that zemo has for steve rogers i thought that was interesting what do you think I Yeah, because that line definitely did stand out to me because, again, and it kind of speaks to the fact that, you know, Walker isn't Captain America. There's no mm-hmm. way. And it also, to me, reminded me, because these movies call back to the previous movies, to the first Avenger, when the night before Steve gets the serum, um, Doctor, whose name I cannot pronounce, Erskine. Stanley Tucci, thank you. Erskine. Him, he tells them, you know, that she remembered to, that he's not a perfect soldier. He's a a good man and to and that's what sets them apart and i think that is such a key indicator of og captain america and current captain america one is a perfect soldier theoretically 
but he's not necessarily the good man that Steve Rogers was, which, as this line says, there hasn't been. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, John Walker, I think we've already talked about this, but John Walker would totally be, if you put him in the first Avenger, he'd be like one of those guys that made fun of Steve, but Steve would have beat them out because it's like in the end, being Captain America is not about being the strongest and the best soldier. It's about being a good man, like you said. So we have Bucky, Sam, and Zemo now. They're going to go look for some info about Mama Danya and her funeral. Um, Falcon references his aunt, his TT, and how when someone would pass away where he was from, a lot of people would pay respect. So that makes a lot of sense. So they're going to go use that angle. And um, they, the three of them separate to go look for info. Sam goes up to, like, I would say is some sort of school type thing. And um, everyone's avoiding him. And he eventually gets to a teacher who basically says they don't want to talk to him. But he says to Sam that the GRC has pretty much failed on all their promises to them about delivering, whether it be medical supplies, food to teachers, that sort of thing. Um, what did you get? What What are you getting this vibe of the Flag Smashers so far? Because I am... I'm, I will say I'm anti-Flag Smashers. It just bores the crap out of me. But what were you thinking about that whole interaction with them all avoiding Sam? I think, I, I mean, I'm, agree, I'm on that same page with you where the Flag Smashers kind of slows down things to a, a little bit of an annoying place. But I did like how they're all kind of now, the stories are trying to dovetail together, which mm -hmm. I think was needed. I The Flag Smashers, it's just... I don't, I'm, I mean, they make sense and that you need to have this other perspective of the post-blip world and showing that, you know, the world isn't perfect. But it, again, if this is the route that we're taking, it needs to be followed through in other Marvel projects. Yeah. You can't so, just bring it here and show, the, you know, the world's not great, the GRC's not doing their job, and then we go to Captain Marvel 2 where we go to... Well, even think about Spider-Man Far From Home, which would happen after this, correct? Yeah. And, and then it was slightly alluded to, I get, I think, with um, the work that Aunt May was doing. Oh, okay, yeah, you're right. So you're maybe, right. maybe that movie warrants a rewatch because mm -hmm. then to kind of see what kind of groundwork was laid. Because, but again, the Flag Smashers, they're such, like they point out, they're they're going to extremes to do these things, and that's why why they're causing problems. Yeah. And um, so we go, Bucky is getting nowhere trying to get information, which is kind of funny. And then Zemo ends up getting info from kids by he starts creepily singing Baba Black Sheep. And the thing about Zemo, though, it's like it wasn't like it's he's so like he's not creepy. He's just kind of like it seems like a step ahead. and He's just always thinking. And so he's singing Baba Black Sheep and he starts giving out Turkish delights to the children. He actually references his son who passed away in uh, Avengers Age of Ultron or around that time who used to love Turkish delights um, and he finds out where the funeral is and one thing I thought was interesting was after he finds out he tells the kids the girl specifically to not trust Falcon or, Falcon or Sam because they're bad men and at first I was like what's he doing here and then it clicked pretty quickly like oh he just wants his leverage if they can go ask her then they don't need him um, what did you think about that whole Zemo part there I mean, Zemo, it's, he's just got, like, this, maybe swags and understatement. Yeah. I don't know. He's just kind of gliding around, doing his own thing. Like you said, he's kind of, like, one step ahead of them. And we don't really know, can we trust him? Can we not trust him? That line where he was like, they're bad, was like, okay, this is a red flag. But then he was like, like you said, it was just for leverage. Mm -hmm. So I think that he's definitely someone who's out to save his own self in the end. And he has his own agenda. But I think, and I'm curious to see where we go with him, because I figured he would be the big bad 
of the season, but actually, you know, maybe it is the power broker. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's John Walker. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, we're going to get uh, the next scene is a flash to Sharon on the phone talking with Sam. Sam's like basically saying he needs he's kind of like they're at the will of Zemo right now and they need information on Walker and just this area. And so Sharon will help him out reluctantly. She does, though, mention that the power broker went ape shit when they found out about Nagel. And she is very insistent upon Sam finding Carly and the rest of the super soldier serum. She's walking through an alley with just that is sketchy as crap with dudes with giant machine guns. I mean, she, I guess she's not the power broker, but damn, she's high up there, right? Like, this is nuts. I mean, this is what this was a scene where I I texted you a bunch of red flags, flag emojis, because I'm watching this and I'm like, so, okay, if I'm going the power broker route, because she's obviously walking around, like, it's no big deal. Like, she just owns that street. She's running down yeah. and just, like, these, like you said, guys with machine guns. And she's just, like, head nodding them and, like, no big deal. And I wonder, too, if it maybe it is, again, a red herring to tell us that she could be the power broker. Because, like you said, the emphasis on making sure Carly's alive. Um, making The fact that they keep saying he every time they say... Yeah. The power broker is such an emphasis on that that I feel like could be an indication that it's not a he. And the fact that she has Ooh. access to satellites, I mean. Yeah, that's pretty intense. That's like um, Iron Man, uh, whatever the shit in Far From Home was, almost. Yeah. That level of stuff. So we'll, it remains to be seen what will happen with Sharon and the rest of the series. But uh, now Zemo, Sam, and Bucky are going to go to the funeral and um, on the way, they are interrupted by John Walker and Battlestar. And um, John Walker just can't follow, can't shut up. And he's just annoyed that, so annoyed that Sam can't, like, or that Sam wants to go reason with Carly. And is talking all this shit to Bucky about, you're going to let your partner go in there, his blood's on your hands, that sort of thing. He ends up doing that again later. But um, they end up following the girl to the funeral place. Zemo comes in clutch. He actually gives her some money to give to his family or to her family. So shout out Zemo there. Good guy, Zemo. Um, and then they go into this room, this holding cell, right? To break into the funeral or whatever. And a couple things happen here. Um, Sam's going to go in. Walker says he has 10 minutes and then he's coming in. He's just a loose cannon. He handcuffs Zemo. And then um, we get... Sam coming into the funeral where there's all these people paying their respects. And uh, something that immediately jumped out to me about this, Peter, was instead of Sam barging in and making a scene, making people uncomfortable, he stood there quietly. He paid his respects. He didn't jump in. Just another thing of good guy. Sam, what are you thinking so far? What are you thinking going into this scene? Talk to me. So the one thing that did stand out to me was when um, Walker shows up and basically it's a the most annoying person on the planet, the line that Bucky says that he's not my partner. Because I think, again, that speaks to something we mentioned in earlier episodes, how they're not fully a team yet. I feel they're still very much not cohesive. But this episode, I feel like that line kind of is the tipping point where later in the episode we'll see that there is much more of that team building happening. I like, like you said, that um, Sam went in and he went in with the respect he didn't go in he knew how to do this he this is his job as he mentioned this is his superpower to, yeah <laughs> it is so, no joke like yeah i think it's incredible and i just i liked it because again it's the complete opposite of what 
fate Captain America would have done, and obviously that that's to come. But mm-hmm. yeah, I really enjoyed that that nuanced approach that he took. Yeah, and so let's go into what Sam and Carly's conversation um, after listening to the tribute to Mama Danya, um Meanwhile, Walker, I just had this note. Walker is twitching and losing it in the other room. Just that's a perfect man. Um, and uh, Sam's gonna reason with her. They have a very good conversation. We see how skilled Sam is at talking to people out of this, and he knows that she's vulnerable right now, and not in a vulnerable. Let's take advantage of her way. Like let's reason with her, and he does a very effective job with that. Some stuff that um stood out to me is he basically tells her that he agrees with her fight in the fight for inequality that she is pushing for, but he can't get with the way she's fighting it. For example, her killing, the blowing up the hospital. And there's a line where basically she says something like, they were all in my way, and if I had to do it again, I'd do it again. And Sam goes, wow. And you get Carly realizing even she sees how fucked up what she said was. So Sam doing chef's kiss, a great job in here. And um, he does tell her that the world's not a better place if you're killing people. It's just different. Um, anything from that conversation between the two of them stand out to you? I think what stood out was the parallel that was happening. Like we said, you know, Walker's over there twitching, losing his mind because he's not in the thick of things. And it's just this anxiety happening. And over here, what should be the anxious scene is playing out very calmly and you all, and you see that it's starting to work. You see that he's make he's getting through to her, and you see, and you're hoping like this is good. But then, in typical fashion, things go everywhere they shouldn't go. Yep. And so it, John Walker storms in right when really Sam is making some significant progress, and um, chaos breaks loose, as you said. And Carly goes running away, and. Um, Oh, I really wanted to quickly say this before when before John Walker, when he's trying to go in and Bucky kind of stops him. Another point is made of how obsessed with the super soldier serum John Walker is because he says to Bucky how easy it must be him for that with all that serum coursing through his veins. So John Walker is so in his own head, whether that be self, he's self-conscious, whether it's a form of PTSD, whether it's anger issues, whether it's all of the above, a lot going on there. And um, so Carly's running away after the big blow up of John Walker coming in. And she actually gets shot by Zemo. Zemo, who had broken loose from the handcuffs. um, And he sees her spill all the super soldier serum. And a great, great moment is because you can see Carly might be worried there, Peter, that Zemo might take it. Not like take it and steal, but like take the super soldier serum, become a super soldier. And what I liked is I was I was 100% confident that Zemo was going to destroy it all. And I love to see him. So Zemo destroys 11 of the vials. So there's only one vial left. And before he can destroy that, he's knocked out by John Walker with the Captain America shield. And Walker pockets the last vial of serum. We knew that was coming, Peter. What do you think? It was, it was like, and like you said, we knew it was coming, so I wasn't like, I'm so I'm surprised he's doing this. I'm like, this is going to go so bad so quickly. And it's like, it just started, it was just like the ball started rolling even more so quicker than I guess when we saw Carly last episode blow up the innocent people. Like here, he's fully losing it yeah. and doing things that Steve would not do. 
But yeah, Zemo crushing all the miles just so cool to see because it's like again, that's his agenda, that's his motive. He's doing what he came to do. Yeah, I like that. Um, and so now we're back at the apartment. Zemo is um, icing his face, having a nice cocktail, and so uh, really, casually, as if nothing had happened. You know. Yeah, he's the man. If you could have his confidence, um, or if we could all have his confidence, uh, I would be a superstar. Um, and so he's talking to Sam and I thought that, uh, something that really stood out to me is he asked Sam one, if they offered him the serum, Sam says no. And he goes, if they did, would you have taken it? And without hesitating, Sam says no. And I got that impressed Zemo, I think, cause we saw earlier in the episode that, uh, his reverence to Steve Rogers, that was one of the first times we've seen Zemo do that. And I think that this tease right here, the, the second time you see that he does, he's starting to really respect Sam. So that is interesting as Zemo may be a figure or a player going forward in the MCU. Um, as this is going on, Walker and Battlestar bust in and Walker starts shouting orders. Um, and then we almost get what seems to be a fist fight between uh, John Walker and Sam. He offers to put down the shield and fight. But this is right when the Dora Milaje come in and they're coming for Zemo. And Peter, they do not give a shit who John Walker is. That was so awesome. I, I love the line where she was like, the, our jurisdiction is where we are. And yeah, it's yeah. just delivered with no, like not even caring who this John Walker, Captain America is. It's like, it doesn't even matter. It's so great. She's there for, it's, uh... He, as the ultimate idiot, he tells them that the Dora Milaje don't have jurisdiction here. And like you said, they say, Dora Milaje have jurisdiction wherever they might find themselves to be. And he is just, after that, He's so dumb because he says, oh, we got off on the wrong foot and then like pats her on the shoulder. Like, what are you doing? That, there's Such no world idiot. where that works out in any scenario. And so obviously the Dora Milaje start kicking John Walker and Battlestar's ass. Uh, the best part of this is when Sam and Bucky are talking, Sam says we should jump in. And Bucky is dry humor in the show. It's really been a standout. Him watching John Walker get the crap kicked out of him and saying, looking strong, John. That, that that was so good. I really enjoyed that. And then eventually, though, uh, Sam and uh, Bucky will step in to help. Not hope they don't want him to die or anything. And then a big scene here, Peter. Io deactivates Bucky's arm. There's a little fail safe in there. What do you think about that? That surprised me for a second because I feel like it, we should have been aware that that was a possibility. And it just wasn't in my in the forefront of my mind to like, oh, they could take off his arm. And then yeah. she does it so effortlessly too. Like she just goes straight forward and takes him down and just basically takes him out of the fight very quickly. And I mm -hmm. love that right after that, they also the girl the other member of the Dora Milaje picks up the shield so casually from John Walker. Like she does the whole stomp up on thing. it and yeah. fly thing. And it's just like and he's just watching and he's just like devastated in the best yeah. way possible. He's and I also thought like so not only were we surprised about we weren't thinking about the arm being deactivated, neither was Bucky. Bucky had no yeah. idea they could do that. And I don't know if you saw this. Today on Twitter, people are going crazy about this. Some guy like posted basically like essentially like how fucked up it was that the Wakandans put that fail safe in with Bucky, which led to the internet just going absolutely insane and political about it and in my head i'm not even getting political it's like okay well this dude's been a murderer for 80 years now he's been brainwashed you know it might not be the worst idea if we have a little fail safe in there and in case something goes wrong i, I didn't have a problem with it did you 
No, I feel like that's very, like, Tony Stark would have done the same thing. He would have had yeah. a bail safe. I mean, that's what his whole idea was, you know, suit of armor around the world. So, yeah, I think so... it made sense. It was like, we yes, we freed you from this, but as we saw in episode two, episode three, where Zemo first shows up, he d- tries to activate the Winter Soldier again. So it's mm-hmm. not f- that far-fetched that someone would try to reactivate him. Oh, yeah. And I mean, it's also like the other thing is like that's a small price to pay if they can randomly deactivate it for what? How much is that arm worth? Like two billion dollars? Casually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so he pops it in right at the end. And um, Zemo actually pulls an El Chapo and escapes <laughs> through the bathroom. And um, John Walker, like you mentioned, is very, very down after the whole shield incident as well. And he says to Battlestar, like, they weren't even super soldiers. So he is so in his own head about the idea of a super soldier. And he is in a low, low place. And we follow them to what seems to be, is it like an airport? Is it a restaurant? Is it a food court at a mall? I'm not really sure where they are. I thought it was like the lobby of where they were. Maybe oh, okay. that might be a good call. That, that makes sense. That's what I was thinking. But oh. I do want before we go on. I oh, do yeah. want to go. say I thought it was so well done how the Dora Milaje were never teased to be part of this show, and it was kept secret up until this happened, which is so hard for these shows to do. And I think mm-hmm. that was such a great inclusion of world building. And obviously, there's still two episodes left, so we'll, and they're still in play looking for Zemo. So I think there's a lot to come. Yeah, and I think to jump in on that as well is that the MCU, they, they hype up, and rightfully so, how it connected the world is. And if you're going to tell such a big story about Super Soldier Serum, and Zemo obviously has ties to Wakanda, but Wakandans are very like involved in the whole Super Soldier Serum thing. If you think about it, the the, the, er, the heart-shaped herb that T'Challa, Black Panthers take is honestly just like a different version of the Super Soldier Serum, which we see throughout the MCU from Hulk and other stuff like that. So I really like how they have that because it, it makes sense. Like, of course these people would be involved in this, and I think it kind of makes me more bummed when I think about WandaVision because it's like Doctor Strange 100% should have been there, like that he would have been there, but obviously with COVID stuff, that happened. But good point. Um at the restaurant, at the lobby, wherever they are, Walker asks Battlestar if you would take the serum. And he says, like, hell yeah. Um, and they talk about what the serum can do. And it just it makes the person just more of themselves. They reference uh, Carly Morgenthau. They reference Steve Rogers. Um, Battlestar kind of hypes up John Walker about what a good guy he is and how it would make him better. They talk about how it made a big, big difference in Afghanistan and how the three medals of honor were given him to make him remember the worst day of his life something like that um but this moment peter is john walker's gonna take the serum he gets the okay from battlestar isn't that once you heard that from battlestar where you're like okay it's happening yeah i it was it solidified it it was like he wanted validation from an outside source that would also do the same thing he was going to do again so different than what Sam has said earlier in just in that answer, how quickly they answered that. And I did, and back to that conversation with Sam and Zemo, he mentioned, you know, Sam mentioned that Bucky was also a super soldier. And if we're going with this whole idea of it amplifies whatever you are, then theoretically, when Bucky, OG Bucky, was not a murderous assassin, that was programmed into him. Yeah. So it stands to reason that as a super soldier serum, it amplified the good that Steve saw to begin with. And I'm interested to see if that will come up later on. Yeah, it's a really good point. And I also think they do a good job in this episode in the back and forth between Sam and Zemo. 
to kind of like show how Zemo, yes, he wants, he has a code about super soldiers. He's against supremacists, but he has a lot of these ideals where it's all like almost he's like a supremacist. And Sam's kind of just showing, throwing that back at him. Like you sound like you're playing God, something like that. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, the next thing we see is uh, Carly calls and threatens Sam's sister. It brings up the nephews, brings up how they have a back dock. And that's just a huge, huge mistake because she tells Sam. And so Sam is going to go alone to Carly. That's what Carly wants. And you mentioned this earlier about how we're starting to see the the pair, the duo. Sam's like, I'm coming with you. There's no Falcon doesn't argue it with it. Bucky is in. And I really liked that. Um, and so. They go up to uh, the place to meet Carly and she makes a comment about how he brought Bucky. Um, and But you can see Sam's like, you crossed the line. You crossed the line. You cannot do something like that. And she kind of says, like, oh, she would never hurt Sam's sister. She doesn't even want to kill Sam. She wants John Walker, Captain America. What would you think about all that? I thought it was a really well done scene that, again, further shows how far Carly is slipping, like, her... What's acceptable for her to do? She's constantly blurring the line and doing things that cross it and step over it. And so, and then if I'm getting the scene correct, because I had to watch the second time I watched it, it made more sense than the first time. Their whole the flag smasher's plan is to separate Sam and Bucky from John Walker, which is why she's meeting with Sam and Bucky by default. And so that's why they're separated. And that's why what happens next happens, correct? Yeah, that's what I that's what I think. Because I okay. think, one, they don't want to... There's two things why I think you're right. I think, one, they don't want to hurt Sam. Two, I think they all know that Bucky could take them all. Yeah. And we kind of see that in little moments throughout this episode. Like, the Flag Smashers, if it's a 1v1 them versus Bucky, Bucky's going to win 99% of the time. So not, I think it just makes them, I mean, they do the same thing when they separate Battlestar from John Walker even. So right. great point. I didn't think about that as much. That's a good, 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 good call. Um, and so we see this fight breaking out as a Walker and Flag Smashers show up. And we see uh, John Walker bend a pipe. So he's taking the serum. You see Sam, Sam says like, what did you do? Sam knows the Flag Smasher that he does it to is shocked. And so here we go, folks. John Walker is going crazy. Um, and they tie up Lamar Haskins. He ends up breaking loose. At first, I thought that was gasoline, and they were going to like light him on fire like some Dark Knight shit or something, but he breaks out, and Carly, they have... Correct me if I'm wrong. This is pretty much how it went, Peter. Is they have one guy hold John Walker back, and Carly's coming in with a knife to kill Captain America, and out of nowhere, Battlestar comes and tackles her and prevents that, and she punches him so hard... That either that killed the punch killed him or how hard he hit the the cylinder, the column behind him, the cement. What did you think? Did you think it was – I mean I guess getting punched by a super soldier in the chest would could like just stop your heart. But also I, what did, I don't know. I'm still kind of confused. What do you think? I felt like it was the column like maybe snapped his neck is what I thought kind of oh. happened from the way it looked in the – when I watched it the second time like she threw him. With the intention to like get rid of him, so she threw him so hard against it, as we saw, like mm. Colin like broke and whatnot, and that's why he hit it in the way he hit it, which which surprised her too. I think she didn't think she expected to kill him. Yeah, she is, has a look of like shock. Time. Yeah, is she, 
would we say that she kind of would when Carly's looking at that? Do you think that she kind of was like in her head, like, "Oh my god, I didn't mean to do that. I fucked up." Did you get that vibe? Yeah, I think so. I think so again because she's not fully committed to doing these acts yet. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I'm on the same page with you there. Um, and so we see, so Battlestar dies. The Flag Smashers start to run away, followed by Sam and Bucky going after them. And we start to hear that Winter Soldier music just blaring. Because, you know, like the Winter Soldier, one of the music things is basically they took Bucky's scream from Captain America, the first Avenger, when he falls off the train. They Mm -hmm. took that and they like overdubbed it a bunch. And that's like that crazy, like screeching sound. I did not know that, but that's sick. Yeah, it's wild, wild. It's very cool. Um, and so they I, they were blasting that with John Walker. We've already seen the signs this episode of the twitching. He's obviously angers easily. They've been building up to this. Um, and this is when he goes, he loses his mind. He snaps. He is filled with rage. His best friend, his North Star, his partner, everything was just killed. And he has obviously... Has obviously just taken the super soldier serum, which uh, has amplified the rage, so to speak. And so he jumps out of the building and lands on a car, which I wanted to quickly point out to you. I saw this somewhere where how that so John Walker jumping out of the building, going down with the shield. Weirdly, if you think about the scene in Captain America Civil War, when Wanda uses the red magic to throw Steve up into the building, it's kind of like good symmetry or like imagery, imagery, I guess, of Steve going up and John Walker going down through the window. My brain just exploded <laughs> because that's so that's so ac- ah yes. That like, would be really yeah, and it's funny because I've seen that movie so many times. I can see it right now that scene, and so I'm like, yep, yep, and. That another thing that I think was important why they had that was that to people who weren't sure if the breaking of the bending of the pole was super soldier serum. I think this officially answers that question when he jumps out. And so he ends up chasing down a flag smasher, not the one who killed Battlestar, not Carly Morgenthau. And this ironically is the flag smasher who grew up like really liking Captain America, whose grandpa like fought alongside him or in the same like. I don't think he was a howling commando, but he was like a part of the allied forces or something like that in world war two. And we get one of the gnarliest scenes in the history of the MCU. He starts, he hits the guy with the shield a bunch of times, knocks him down. He's looking for Carly and he smashes the shield repeatedly into this dude's chest and kills him. And there's people videotaping and filming on their cell phones all around Sam and Bucky get there. It's too late. They're like, holy shit. And the final shot of this episode, Peter, one of the gnarliest images in the history of the MCU now. John Walker standing there with the dead body below him. His face all types of weird. And the Captain America shield covered. Covered. Not just a little. It was covered in blood. Incredibly powerful. What did you think? You know, that was such a striking scene. Like, it just, I think, like, I literally texted you right after that one, too. It was just, like, one word just over and over and over because it was, like, mm-hmm. I, 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 it's just not, it's not right. You're not, that's not the shield. That's, like, literally yeah. the opposite of everything the shield stood for. Like, Steve never had to resort to that. 
Never. Like it's just it just the, shows such an abuse of power. And the heartbreak of seeing Bucky and Sam behind it, just like Steve's two best friends seeing that. And I one, this is obviously gonna force Sam into action more, but I think this image of Bucky seeing this, of the whole world seeing the shield like that, this is going Bucky versus John Walker is happening. We know that. But Bucky the, Bucky is going to be so pissed off about this, I feel like. Don't you? Because he believes in the, flat, uh, the the shield so much? Yeah. Again, again, this is like a complete dishonor to Steve's memory, Steve's legacy, because as you know, Steve believed in Bucky, and which is such an important thing for Bucky, which that shield is important for Bucky. He even mentioned it earlier in the episode again, how Sam gave up the shield and so mm-hmm. it's gonna i feel like it really is gonna push things over the edge yeah i i'm i'm very excited for the next two episodes the next one is i believe 61 minutes long isn't that correct peter that is what i think i saw yes and they go to louisiana wild um we're gonna get a lot here to conclude this series so it some things might be left out i think is safe to say um I'll ask you a question. Do you think we will know who the power broker is by the end of the series? Yeah, I so I feel like if we're doing where this is going to go on to further seasons or tie into future projects, we might get like the last episode we see the power broker in the end credit sequence, like at the end, very last seconds, we see who the power broker is. I feel like that could do it. I'm curious if they are going to go the Sharon route or not. Um, yeah. I did see in an interview that Emily Vandekamp, who plays Sharon Carter, says she's looking forward to wearing the Sharon Carter costume in the show, which is the white suit. So it's interesting that she's talking about the hero route as opposed to what we're currently seeing. Mm-hmm. So is that to mislead people? Yeah. I'm curious to see. It's it just it's interesting of how this will all shape up because like the battle lines are being drawn. Essentially, you have the power broker versus the flag smashers. That's been building. And now you also have John Walker versus Bucky and Sam that's been created. You have obviously have John Walker versus um, the Flag Smashers. So it'll be interesting to see what sides people take in this battle. Or is it really just going to be everyone versus everyone? Um, I think that'll be very interesting to see. Uh, another question for you is, have we seen the last of Wakanda and Adora Milaje in this series? I don't think so and so i don't think so because we still got zemo in the wind unless mm-hmm. the dormilaje and zemo are officially just out of the episodes now and they will be picked up in black panther 2 or another project going forward which i think is a possibility yeah but again i don't know i think i think we i could Unfortunately, I could see us not seeing the dora milaje again and just zemo kind of coming back in that like I guess he escaped, so they gave up, which is kind of stupid to me, but I could see them doing that because I really think at the end of this series, what we're going to see is the big thing is Zemo is going to, in some sort of way, assemble the Thunderbolts, the anti-Avengers, the Dark Avengers type thing where they're like anti-heroes. Um, I really could see that happening. Well, another thing that I can't get out of my head is like, how hard is Zemo going to go after John Walker? Like, right? Like, shouldn't he be... He already doesn't like John Walker from the interactions. He saw how he was pre-serum, that hot-headed and everything. And once he finds out that dude took the serum because Zemo didn't smash it all, I feel like that'll be a personal vendetta. That's a very good point because 
And that adds in another layer of who's going to, and he's going to come with the intention to kill John Walker. Mm -hmm. Whereas maybe Bucky and Sam aren't necessarily going with that intention. So that's going to be interesting to see. We have all of these culminations coming together. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't think John Walker will be killed. I don't think you hire Wyatt Russell and introduce a character as big because John Walker is also U.S. agent once he is not right. in America. And if they are th- going to go with the Thunderbolt Zemo route, that theoretically U.S. agent could fit into that. They've just a lot got a long way to go, I think, to get to that point. I mean, we've got two episodes to create that in. <laughs> yeah, there's just so much stuff. So uh, hopefully... I mean, I doubt this, but maybe Armor Wars might tie into this a little. And because I was just thinking, like, after this series, when's the next time we're going to see Sam and Bucky? Uh, Bucky, a good guess would be Black Panther 2. I don't know about Sam. Is it like the next Avengers? But Armor Wars could be pretty cool, I think. That would be interesting. One thing I did notice in the that kind of we didn't talk about in the in the fight where um, where because everything else is happening is mm-hmm. how well um, Sam and Bucky fought together. Oh, and, yeah. You know, Bucky had Sam's back. And there was also a scene a little bit earlier also that reminded me of Captain America when Steve, when Bucky stopped one of the super soldiers and he told him, like, stay there or something. Like, it was very much a line that I felt like Steve would have said, which, again, kind of speaks to the fact that they're both a side of Captain America. And it, Bucky has that 1940s sense of humor like Steve, which you got to love. <laughs> That's true, yeah. yeah. Um, anything else on this week's episode? It was interesting because it felt like there were times when I felt like it was going along kind of slow. Flag but then not. <laughs> yeah, the, like the. Yeah, those scenes, those those scenes just kind of I, I don't know. Like, why did the power broker text a different one this time? That's true. And like, so, yeah, we have the flag. Yeah, so we have two episodes. We have to decide how, how to deal with the flag smashers, how to deal with Zemo, how to deal with John Walker, how to deal. What is the world going to think about the fact that they just saw Captain America? Killed mm-hmm. someone in cold blood because technically it is seen, Captain America. I haven't even seen really the U.S. government, like Thunderbolt Ross, get involved, which I assume we will see in those next two episodes because Captain America just killed someone on publicly on the streets in another country. Jesus. Um, well, I, I'm really enjoying uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, we got two more episodes left. Two, well, I'm presuming will be about each an hour long. So we got about a two hour movie left, folks. Um, if you're enjoying the series, enjoying the pod, leave a five-star review. Leave a question. We'll get to it. Tell your friends to watch the show. If you ha- if you watched WandaVision or you haven't watched WandaVision yet and you want to listen to some pods, we have that previously as well. Um, Peter, where can they find you on Twitter and Instagram? It is at Peter Gonzo. P-E-T-E-R-G-O-N-Z-Z-O. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yep, that is my lots of Marvel opinions on that. Yeah, and you can find me at Rob Stark and, of course, at Pineapple Couch underscore. Um, thanks so much for listening. We will talk to you guys again next week, and stay tuned. We got more coming here on the Pineapple Couch. Thank you, Peter. Thanks for having me. All right, welcome back to the Pineapple Couch. This is episode 89, and it's going to be our weekly or bi-weekly or whatever it means to be once every other week uh, baseball update. I'll be joined by Big Dog and Steven, 
as well. Long time number one caller turned into podcast co-host. Love to see it. Um, we're going to get into all the big MLB headlines and we'll just keep you updated throughout this MLB season. So let's get it going. Uh, big dog. How you doing, my friend? Right, I'm doing great. It was my birthday Friday. Yeah. In 53 years, uh, Friar Faithful, we've been waiting for something. Joe Musgrove, no hitter. A real treat to cap Happy off tonight Happy freaking for me. belated birthday. Great what, fucking what a, birthday, dog. What a <laughs> it's treat. never happened. What a treat. Steven, you hear him now. Steven, how you doing? Doing good. Uh, unfortunately, there's been no no hitters for the Tigers, but you got that rookie <laughs> who's off, a, off to a hell of a start, Steven. What's his name? Akil Badu. I know they had him before spring training, so... So there we go. There's some unexpected uh, jerseys on good the way things. Now. Wow, really? <laughs> um, yeah, the the Tigers they listen to the pod, so they're gonna send us some jerseys pretty quickly. Uh, let's get into the big news. Uh, not the big news. We'll go to the Padres to Big Dog. So, Big Dog, let's talk a little bit about that no hitter, and then let's give the people an update on Fernando Tatis Jr. So mainly the coolest thing about the no hitter is like Joe Musgrove. He He's born in San Diego. He's lived off El Cajon High School, which is right in the heart of San Diego. Um, gets traded there this offseason, and then his second start, he breaks the curse. He had a season. He was a season ticket holder in like 2006, 2007. Where's 44 for Jake Peavy? So that's wow. essentially me throwing a no-hitter for the Padres. So I could imagine how cool that was for him. Uh, Tatis, I mean, they show him every day. They don't really... They're kind of mm-hmm. treating him like Aaron Judge right now. It's like, they yeah, don't really, really quick, give you... Let's set the stage here with, the, if you don't know what happened to Tatis Jr., Andrew, correct me if I'm wrong. They're playing the Giants. It's a non-contact injury. He just swung, and it, at first I thought he got hit or something because I wasn't had, didn't have too sharp of an eye on it. But it was a non-contact swing. What Before we get to how he's doing right now, what at first... Or what right now are we thinking it was? What type of injury? So at first, weren't you fucking scared as shit? I mean, I still, I'm terrified still. I don't, I don't, I think this is like a lingering thing. I think this is a lot of information that's not really being told to Padre fans because they can't handle Mm -hmm. that right now for obvious reasons of how much hype's around him. But Tatis got hurt, you know, like two or three weeks prior in spring training and it was a ground ball routine ground ball and everyone thought he had like tommy john for a second but it was his left shoulder his non-throwing arm shoulder okay and so he tweaked it a little bit you know 15 20 days later he swings really hard he's athletic he tweaked it again and then he fell non-contact injuries just swings out of his ass and he has to be taken out of the game a lot of like initial reactions, like "Oh God, this guy has tear, labrum tears," and that's what I kind of think it is. Um, I heard it was similar to what Cody Bellinger, like the surgery he had this off season, which the Padres, if he needs a surgery, I mean, they have the right doctors there. I mean, they obviously they have three hundred forty million dollars; they know what's at stake. So I'm going to trust what the Padres are going to do with Fernando Tatis. You're going to trust the, past the Padres. Days, he has been swinging and he looks good. It just seems really kind of like. Do the Padres have the same doctors as the Chargers? I hope not. They're the LA San Diego now. Hopefully that has changed. But they keep saying, it's like, yeah, I think Tattoos will be ready for that Friday night series this upcoming Friday against the Dodgers. It's like, chill, guys. Just, yeah. Like, this team's still really good. Just, holy crap. It's been two or three weeks. We're still in April. Yeah. Make sure he's right. If I'm a Padres fan here, and guys, correct me if you disagree, Andrew, you're obviously a Chargers fan or a Padres fan. You're 
two to three weeks, what, into this 14-year contract, yeah, you think you can get into the playoffs this year, but you have to admit that the team in your division, the Dodgers, are a juggernaut. So this isn't really your year necessarily, but that doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be. I would say rest him or get the surgery now. Don't even risk it. Just get him just That's it. Just if make you, sure he's 110%. Is it out for the season with this certain type of the labrum thing, like with what happened with Bellinger, or could it be, he potentially be back in July? I mean, like if he got August. the surgery like 10 days ago and everything went real well, there's a shot he could be there by the end of September or something like that. And it'd be, uh, okay. you know, it's like one of those things, and I don't know how much MLB ready he'd be by then. But it's just something you don't play around with. There's 340 million reasons why <laughs> you should get the surgery or you should be extra cautious. Um <laughs> Especially this team's really good because they added, I mean, the pitching they added that counters like all the tatty stuff almost that he did last year. When you add yeah. Snow and Darvish and then you get Lamette coming back, I mean, Trent Grisham's doing really well, Machado, they're fine. Hasa Kim, I'm not like concerned. I'm not, I don't think the Padres are going to be like a 79 win team now without Tatty. Mm-hmm. They're still going to win over 90 games and be in there. It's just, he's the heart and soul. There's a lot less vibe, but Joe Musgrove. Those little no-hitters, these kind of things, pick up the spirits. It's another thing checked off in Potter history. Let's see what happens, you know. I like that. I like that. Uh, let's go into another thing that I noticed this week. Uh, the Mets were playing, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe they're playing the Phillies. Is that who? Was it Mets, Phillies? It was the Marlins. Mets, Marlins. Yeah, it was Marlins. And, um, Stephen, just walk us through what happened. You'll explain it better than I do. Yeah, it was extra. Uh, was it extra innings or a bottom nine? I think, well, it was it been, I think it was bottom nine, but either way. Oh, but okay. yeah, bases loaded. Michael Conforto's up to the plate, comes a pitch inside. He just puts that Evo shield, that little elbow protector right over the plate, and just doesn't try to get out of the way, just leans into it because he knows if he gets hit, it's going to be a run. So Mets win on a walk-off hit by pitch that was probably a strike. It was It was a definitely a strike. It. I mean... For two things on this, when you watch that replay in slow motion, and folks, if you haven't seen it, look it up. It is the most blatant, like the way his elbow just pops like, up. He got like beat black. so bad, like he knew this was like, okay, shit, I just gotta get hit yeah. by it. It was like the ball crossed yeah. the plate, and then he stuck his arm out. <laughs> and the other thing, but, I mean, I don't know if there's been a rematch between the Mets and Marlins. I don't know if that was the end of a series, but that dude's getting thrown at, <laughs> guaranteed. I, that's one of the most socially things. Have you thrown at people before? You sent a message? Have I thrown at people? No. Yeah. But I don't I didn't throw that hard to do it. But <laughs> is there generally like a a guy in college baseball or even upper levels of high school baseball who is the guy essentially like, hey, you throw really hard, you might not be our ace, but go in there and so there's that guy essentially on a lot of basketball teams and stuff. Is that true for college baseball? Fun. We had a guy my senior year who like through like ninety two, who just did not give a fuck. So he's like, if anyone shows me up like that or does something like they're getting fucking drilled. I'm like, all right, you go for it. Everybody needs that sort of guy. Um, you do. I, that was uh yeah. So Conforto is fucked. He's definitely fucked. Next time that happens, um, I would things- like to. I'd say for Conforto, it's kind of like. I mean, it was really lame. It's like the lamest way to win, but it's the AJ Przinsky thing. 
that happened in 2005. I mean, the guy's just trying to win a game. I mean, if the umpire, the umpire technically screwed up, the umpire called a strike. The same thing with AJ Brzezinski and Kelvin Maskamar called him strike, struck out, and AJ Brzezinski just a competitive guy. He's a jackass, but he ran to first (laughs) and he caused confusion. He won the game. And I mean, you, you let the human element of umpires take over and sometimes it can work. So I would, there's that element to it, I can say. Well, what else you got in the world of baseball for us, Big Doug? So I was, we're going to stick to the Mets. I just think it's hilarious that Jacob DeGrom cannot, he literally cannot buy a win. So here's a couple stats for you. Since 2018, Jacob DeGrom's ERA is a 2.06. He has 650 strikeouts in 503 innings. Uh, the Mets are 36 and 42 in those games. I mean, that's unbelievable. 36 and 42. He's been the best pitcher pitcher in baseball for like three years, right? Three or four years? Three years, and they are 36 and 42. So that's how valuable the win is. Mets can't score more than two runs in a game he starts. That's pathetic. Why is that a problem for them? That just sucks. Is he re-signed there for obviously a lot of money? Is he going to be there a while? I'd want to get the fuck out of there. Yeah, like I mean, they even re-signed Lindor. They're just they're already like the way their season started. They got, I think they were slated to play the Nationals, and mm-hmm. the Nationals had like COVID stuff, and it's like of course the Nets, yeah. the Nets start mm-hmm. on Monday. They don't get a true opening weekend. It's already a shit show for them. Yeah. Um. Other thing I that stuck out to me from the first week was the whole Yachty versus. Uh, is it Nick Castellanos? Is that his name? Um, yeah. So basically, well, from my perspective, Castellanos is sliding, and the pitcher of the Cardinals lands on his back, which is like, I mean, you're not starting a fight over that. It's just still kind of like, ow. And then Castellanos just kind of like is flexing on him a little, which I think is fine. And then Yachty, just because he's the most pissed off man of all time, comes in and starts fighting, which I would like to say, I, I'm not a giant Yachty fan, but I do love that there's fights and stuff around it. I love to go against Yachty. Um, I do like Castellano solely because of that one video. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Of the the broadcaster who is basically apologizing for saying oh, yeah. something incredibly bad and he's resigning. And right. he, in middle of it, he goes, as Castellano hits the line drive to left field. There's some like it. racially incorrect thing and he's giving an apology and he just calls out Cassianos' home run. <laughs> and so this fight, or not fight, it was a, kind of a hold me back thing in a lot of ways. I loved it. It brings a little more eyes to the game, obviously. I just don't understand how they suspend Cassianos for this. That's just I, that just that so is I, ruining I'll, sports. Stuff if, like that. If Andrew's Nick Castellano, Andrew gets in there. All right. This you know, this twenty three year old kid throws a 93 mile per hour fastball in my ribs and i'm kind of pissed off like that didn't feel good and i already thought it was funny that he was like showing the ball and he was like you want this ball and he like tossed it to the dugout or whatever and he was already kind of taunting him and then when he comes around and score of course the pitcher has to cover home plate because it's a pass ball well first thing i would like to tell the pitcher hey buddy you're not allowed to cover home plate like that anymore so get the fuck out of the way that's what the catchers have to do so get out of the way uh second or third whatever number we're on now yeah, I loved everything. I loved the taunting. I couldn't even believe that MOB got involved in this. That they should just let this be a brawl. I mean, if that was even a brawl, I mean, a couple people were just pissed off, and it's like, hey, yeah. we haven't played baseball in six months, four months. Let's go. It's, it's the like, Reds and Cardinals have always had this rivalry. And They're, the other thing, before Stephen, you jump in, is like 
it's not like punches were thrown or something like it was just pushing it's like i understand let's say even if it's not yachty or castellanos like let's say a couple people throw punches but that's what started it and it, if it asked okay then it's like okay maybe they get a game for causing it it's not like some malice at the palace thing freaking happened or something <laughs> like that sorry steven um but, i love it uh what was your take on this steven it just got like chippy i mean yeah it was this verbal exchange no one threw a punch that they both went back to their dugout. It's not like this massive brawl like Jose Bautista, Rognet Odor occurred, and then mm-hmm. go suspend Castellanos. It's like, I think they went too far with that. Did you, did you guys see when the Rangers traded Odor on social media, they posted like a like a thank you to him, and it had like all these like frames of him like hitting, like fielding all this hitting stuff. Jose and literally Bautista. the punch is one of them. <laughs> It's his most not. famous moment. It's 15 like minutes of fame right there. That's um, his career highlight. I thought that was I think up. this whole thing, like, got... Honestly, I love Yadier Molina, but since his name was involved, as soon as, like, he's like, oh, my God, they went in there and Yadi got involved. Yadi says, always right. Yadi this, yeah. Yadi that. And it's like, this is the guy that defied gravity with pine tar and his chest protector. And nobody's going <laughs> to say anything about it. And we're just going to laugh about it on a Sunday afternoon. Oh, that's classic Yadi. Just juicing up the pitchers for himself which could perfectly segue into the trevor bauer getting his baseball oh, yeah. check this week so backstory trevor bauer has been outspoken character as we know um he was very against he's like hey all these pitchers are using illegal substances and if you aren't going to punish them i'm going to join them and so what does he do he joins them last year he went to sell and gets a hundred million dollar contract worked out so his mm-hmm. second start as a Dodger, they're going to start inspecting Trevor Bauer's baseballs with pine tar. And I just think it's the most ridiculous thing because, Stephen, how many people – I mean, there's so many people use this. I don't know if you I don't know if you want to put yourself out there if you use this <laughs> shit or if anyone in college. But I'm just saying the amount of people that use some kind of substance I think who are absolute no-names in minor leaguers everywhere. Everyone. It is a joke. And this is, goes from Garrett Cole all the way to Joe Schmo and single. Oh, nice. Nice. On the same page there. Um, all right. I got, I got something for you guys then. Has there been a team that's o- overwhelmingly disappointed you? Uh, Steven, I think you had a good uh, stat for us. Yeah, Cubs team batting average is 168, and that's lower than the average pitcher in the MLB. Like Why the MLB they, pitchers they, are hitting like 173 as an average. Why they're can't still, they hit? Like they still have it's still that core. It's still Bryant, Baez, Rizzo, Contreras. Like those. Are, what's wrong with them? And it's been like two, three years. They've kind of just like been in because an offensive slump. That win, like they broke the whatever 108 year streak, and that was so crazy. And they obviously like that game seven with the Indians was like the rain delay, like a crazy thing. Do you think that almost that team like just has nothing left because they reached that and it's the craziest thing ever, and it just kind of took took it all out of them in a way? I hope streak then because this is terrible. <laughs> what they had, they finally win it, and then they have this awesome core that the city loves, and they just. I don't know. They're blowing yeah, well, it up. I, they seemed like they were going to be, I mean, a dynasty of some sort. Yeah, they were. They were. It was them, the Astros. They had like those model mm-hmm. organizations, 2015, 16, that everyone's like, look, you draft a couple of this guy, make an international signing, make a trade, boom. And now they are contract years with, I believe, Bryant, Rizzo, and Baez. So 
decisions decisions to be made. Yeah. Uh, another thing, uh, the Giants, like, so they, uh, they started off not very well, but this weekend they had a series against the Rockies. So I had it on like all weekend. And I believe they've won the last three. And Marley turned to me and said, my God, Giants, keep winning. And I was like, yeah, we're playing the Rockies. So <laughs> none of this hey, matters. Giants are six and three, baby. That is six and three. You would you would take that start ten or ten Dude, times in the first nine games. Stremski had a hit today. I uh, honestly, he, it's, it's great contact. It is goddamn beautiful. I love that man. And Crawford really is so well uh, on Saturday. I love B Karate. It's good times, good vibes in the Bay. Um, any other surprises or disappointments from you two? Well, I guess the stat would be so Ricky Henderson has the most leadoff home runs at eighty one. Ron Acuna already has 20, and he's 23. He hit two or three this week. Lead-off home runs. There's the first pitch off Max Scherzer, gone. Like, 470 feet. Um, he beat out a single the first play of this game, an infield mm-hmm. single. He's doing well. And my standout is going to be... My standout player this week will be Byron Buxton, who is my World Series prediction. Mm, World please. Series MVP predictions. He's been 481, four home runs. He's got over a thousand slugging and over a 1500 OPS right now. Oh shit! He, uh, is yes. He is coming to fruition. Watch out for the Twins. Mm-hmm. Uh, wait, aren't the Red Sox like six and three right now? Yeah, JD Martinez is, is hitting 472, five home runs, 16 ribbies, which is insane. Another they former Tiger. Nine Steve games. The, the Yankees, like I, I see a lot of panic from Yankees Twitter about this team not being able to stay healthy, and uh, yeah, I Aaron Judge. Think, I really don't think the Yankees are that. I, they're great, but to always be this landslide of a favorite in the American League yeah. this year, the American League is wide open, wide open. The Angels have started off well. Yesterday was how they should perform. They lost fifty-one <laughs> to one, but other than that, Shohei Otani has done amazing. Trout's done well, and they've had found. Is that guy Walsh? Jared Walsh is doing really well. He, Wasn't he like a former pitcher too? Yeah, he's the, he's the two way player too. They, <laughs> of course, he's a hitter, and they need a lot of pitching. But it's nice to have an extra hitter to replace Grandpa down there. Mm-hmm. All right, well, gentlemen, do we have anything else in the world of baseball before we uh, come back next week? And um, I think we're going to do a little NBA as well next week. Let's see. This week, I mean, Tatis could be this Friday against the Padres Dodgers. So that is the biggest series this week that I'm sure the fans are excited for. Oh, Steven, Jeff Robbins is coming to town in June, and we're going to go see Giants Cubs. You should join. I'm down. Let's Send do me the invite. Yeah. Giants Cubs. Yeah, it should be a good I am, time. I am shocked. Another takeaway. Angels fans showed up in a big way against the Astros and threw not one trash can on the field. They threw two. That is shocking. Think shocking. about like this guy who took advantage of the low security. And he's like, he ran up <laughs> there. The first one's inflatable. And then they just see this guy. And there's like two or three ushers who are our age. You yeah. don't really care. You really should work at Disneyland. Carrying a disgusting trash can with nachos falling out. And just... <laughs> That like outfield, to, outfield at baseball games. Just go before out before the season. If you were to say, what are the odds of like every team to fuck with the Astros this year? 
I would have said the team with the that is the least likely is like it's probably the Angels. I mean, maybe yeah. the Blue Jays because I'm in Canada, Rays. but <laughs> doesn't even exist. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, but yeah, Angels fans show up in the third inning and leave by the sixth. So I was shocked that. But they got the job done. A rare got the job for Two Angel trash fans. cans before the sixth inning. It's impressive. Light <laughs> that baby up. All right, uh, Andrew, Stephen, always a pleasure. We'll talk to you again next week. And yeah, this has been a little MLB segment here on episode eighty-nine of the Pineapple Couch. We'll talk to you boys later. All right, welcome back to the Pineapple Couch, episode 89. And folks, we got a great show for you today. We're going to be going a little music draft, um, and we're going to go 2000s rock, alternative rock, indie rock, however you want to describe it, 2000 to 2009. That is the category of songs we will be drafting for a playlist. And so I'm doing playlists, I'm doing music. You know I'll be joined by Mitch Rincon. Mitch, how you doing, my friend? Doing pretty good, Brian. How are you? I'm doing well. It's good to see you. Um, and your fellow Padre fan, Andrew Radcliffe, congratulations to the two of you on good your uh, no-hitter or a perfect game? No-hitter and a sweep. We got a sweep and a sweep. Week, Andrew, you, good to see was, you. He faced the minimum. He hit awesome. one batter. He hit yeah. one batter, and that Sometimes was it. Sometimes you got to send a message, too, so I, I kind of think that's more impressive. Uh, and Tim 28 Hall, outs, technically, yeah. Tim Hall, man of the hour. Tim, hey. how you doing, my friend? I'm good. I'm doing better than Mitch, actually. Wow. Shots fired. Tim is doing well. <laughs> so uh, let's, let's... Mitch was saying he was doing good, and... You I'm, just wanted to let better. us know you're doing better? I'm doing great. Tim, I got a job. Hell yeah, uh, Mitch. Going back to New York in a week. Start tomorrow, <laughs> huh? That's the so the city of dreams. Is that New York? That's Denver. Denver's the city of dreams? No way. Okay, let's get on track here. Here's what we're doing. We're doing the usual song draft playlist thing, so you can always get the playlist on the pineapplecouch.com or on Twitter or Instagram. We'll have them there. Um, and basically what we're going to do is we're each going to draft songs from 2000 to 2009. We're going to get seven songs each, so a 28-song playlist for you guys to listen to. The only rule is it has to come out from 2000 to 2009. And then, again, it's all in that indie rock, alternative rock, rock genre, um, because introducing hip-hop to that would just... It would be a nightmare having to do that as well. It would just be way too much. So... Let's today, let's go through these seven picks each of 2000s to th- 2009. Does anyone want to describe it better than me? Is, think, well, it's just everything minus rap, correct? It pretty much, yeah. I mean, I and, guess. I mean, is it like, like there's two ways that we usually do this. It's like, you know, what's popular and what like actually yeah, I guess like, stands in, in music no, history. And then no also... Pop- like, you know, Avril Lavigne, Kelly, Kelly Clarkson, but... Oh, could... what? I'm for <laughs> sure putting some of that in. What are you talking about? I can um, close. All right. So, we'll, we'll just see how this away. goes. Um, Tim, you have the first pick. Andrew, ah. Big Dog, has the second pick. Mitch has third. I, I have fourth. Too. Um, and Tim is ready to roll. Tim, um, first pick of the draft. What do you take us? I mean, it's so natural, it is the song that... It came out in 2001 and just perfectly summed up the 90s and perfectly got us ready for the 2000s. 
and it was Wake Me Up When September Ends. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> legendary. That is segue way better for the second draft to pick. 2004, same album, American Idiot. Let's go. Love Billy Joe. This is the free bird of the 2000s, <laughs> the nine-minute song, nine-minute, 12 if seconds. I had to, if I had the choice, Big Dog, I would have put every song in this album. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's, we, this was supposed to be 10, and then now we have to cut it down to 7. I still have to add it. <laughs> Jesus of Suburbia. The Ooh. second track of that song, a nine-minute anthem. Back-to-back back Green Day to start the draft. Bitch, was, I doubt it's going to be a triple. I think but we took Mitch's <laughs> song. I think, I think we got it. The funny thing is Jesus of Suburbia is my number one pick. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. It's I actually... Oh, what a, what a world. They, they say that, you know, only the Rolling Stones could have written... Uh, uh, Midnight Rambler? Yeah, Midnight Rambler. Only Green Day could put <laughs> Jesus of Suburbia into this beautiful world. Uh, oh, right. God. Well, the third okay. overall pick, Mitch, what you got? Uh, okay. Well, now you fucked me up. So, pardon my language. Um, I'm going to do... Fucking idiot. Don't fucking cuss on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh i'm gonna do uh a lady nice wow. lady that went went too soon i'm doing valerie amy winehouse oh, all right that's a good one that's a good one i will follow that up with a great band a great band that you know what they do they appreciate a good horn section that band's name is cake mm. and the the song is short skirt long jacket by cake <laughs> Will be my number one selection. I'm I mean, so happy you said that because I was I had that at eleven. I was great. Cake, cake is too good. Cake is so good that it is impossible to find a vinyl of them. I actually hit up the Amoeba in SF for the first time. Mitch, you've been there. I looked for some cake. No cake. Sad. Sad. Uh, Tim has just gotten up and he is next on the board for the pick. <laughs> so, <laughs> All right, Tim, what do you got here for your Arguably second selection? The most important band of the 2000s at least top three most important bands the strokes with someday a song that maybe the only song on this uh list that actually like makes me want to cry every time i hear it it's so beautiful someday by the strokes emotional tim i like it big dog what you got for us <laughs> i'm gonna go with my number the number six song here is going to be from mr franz ferdinand take me out the archduke oh. himself <laughs> take <laughs> me out what Madden was that? Was that Madden 05? Madden that 05, I had it. All time, all Only time. Only song you needed of Madden. There's actually a wild, absolutely batshit fucking crazy video of Franz Ferdinand, I think at Glastonbury, at the peak of that song, playing it. Oh, God, the lads were going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Mitch, what do you the got lads. for your second pick? Uh, I'm going to do... <laughs> An absolute banger. Paper Planes by M.I.A. <laughs> I forgot about that song. Is there a guitar in that song? We're doing anything without... <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're they right, you're right. Guitar. That's Big true. Dog. That's the uh, beautiful thing about the 2000s. We no longer yeah. need a guitar for it to be... Good thing we out hip-hop because every single choice would be Akon. Um, all right, <laughs> I'll go with my, my second pick. So the eighth pick overall it is the greatest second verse in the history of music. It's I Miss You by Blink-182. Oh, God. Okay. 
where are you? <laughs> I'm so sorry. I cannot sleep. I cannot dream tonight. So yeah, that's Blink-182. I need somebody I in the hallway. So frick, <laughs> bitch, good. It's pretty good. So good. Um, Tim, your third that's pick. wild. Wonderful. Um, this is the most important band in my life, Death Cat for Cutie, with I Will Follow You Into the Dark. <laughs> I knew Death Cab was coming. I knew I was waiting for it. Uh, <laughs> uh, song absolutely changed my life. Mr. Dog? I am going to go with Snow Heyo by the Chili Peppers. 2006. That's all, is uh, that that's the, 2006 at the that Stadium Oh, no, yeah, yeah. Nice pick, nice. nice pick. That's a band I actually didn't think of. I thought 90s, but they are a good amount in the 2000s as well. Uh, Mitch, what you got for us at your number three? Toxic Britney Spears. <laughs> no, what's your number three? That's my <laughs> Toxic that's Britney Spears. Oh, are you boy. kidding me? I, I respect it. This is going to be a very diverse playlist. We're giving them the full 2000 to 2009. I think, like, there's certain songs that are just so important for, like, remembering what the 2000s sounded like. Toxic is one of them. The thing is, like, on, like I'm th- I denied that initially, and now I'm thinking about it. And when you think about the 2000s, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm wrong. That, that I'm is, a serious that, man, Brian. Don't, don't tell I know me you are. Um, okay, I will go next with um, maybe the biggest, like... Well, it's definitely the best baseline of the 2000s. Seven Nation Army by Ooh. the White Stripes. I will take as my third. I mean, the thing's already like a, a universally known chant at sporting games. Like, mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, it's a great fucking song. So I'll go with White Stripes, Seven Nation Army. That is a very classic anthem for sure. From mm-hmm. the 2000s. Damn. Oh, it's me next? <laughs> we were all looking at. <laughs> uh, uh, well, thanks for the memories, guys. Fall out boy. Oh, oh nice. <laughs> Have you oh. ever even heard a more important song in the, the 2000s? Uh, not yeah, many. toxic. <laughs> oh, wow, this playlist. Andrew. Uh, we're going to. I mean, it's 2000. The peak was in the 80s, but I'm not leaving Bono out of here. It's a Let's beautiful go. day. 2000, it makes <laughs> no. the cut. Dun, 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 All those things you can't leave behind. Oh, a little vocal as well. Let's do a little dance, dog. Andrew's <laughs> doing good. He got that no hitter. Um, Mitch, what do you got here for your fourth pick, correct? Um, yeah, I'm going to, I mean, I have no idea. I'm going to back up Tim. I'm going to double down and go sugar. We're going down. Fall out, boy. Oh, that's a great call. Oh, my gosh. This draft is out of control. It's <laughs> <laughs> out of my control. Oh. 28 top of 2021 for sure. All right. I'll throw uh, for my fourth pick. I mean, it wasn't a matter of if. It was a matter of when this guy would be named. And I think this will not be the last time we talk about this gentleman. Um, I will take... Fluorescent Adolescent by the Arctic Monkeys and Alex Turner. Um, just a perfect, perfect song by a perfect man who is actually his birthday is right in between Mitch and I. So it goes Mitch, Alex Turner, me, and Francisco Rodriguez, former reliever for the Angels. Francisco Rodriguez. <laughs> that was so good. Francisco Rodriguez. Um, all right, Timmy, to your fifth pick. 
All right. <clears throat> if you can't tell by now, I had a pretty emo phase in the 2000s, and yeah, we're going it's... with Skip Love, Bonnie Bear. Oh, yeah. that's a good. That was a late addition to my playlist today. Mm-hmm. I thought about it when I was just scrolling through my old iTunes. Oh, iTunes. The, yeah, the iTunes playlists in the t- cannot be underestimated in the 2000 to 2010. We were on Spotify. We were illegally downloading music from YouTube. <laughs> LimeWire. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So, Tim, with your that was your fifth. So, Big Dog, what do you got next? I am, you know, I'm a family man. I like. Of course. Let's stay together for the kids. Blink-182, you know. Uh, I like that. A great beautiful great. little riff in the beginning you get tom's yeah. vocals in the first or the chorus that was jacob morris's favorite thing to play on guitar that yes, it, uh, was. it was a good time shout out to the hot dog um mitch what do you got here for number five number five uh lady gaga's poker face oh my god mitch is just coming in with some heat lady gaga, <laughs> number five toxic lady gaga <laughs> levine's like, gotta be next. i knew mitch would have no, like, dude i hate levine I- Clarkson. I knew Mitch would have different Maybe. selections we'll than see. all of us. I did not <laughs> see it going. <laughs> um, so okay. I like to give the, uh, the 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 music department of the Pineapple Couch a little a little spice. You know, I, I like that. I like that. So I will then I will follow that with um, my number five pick. I'm surprised it hasn't gone. Electric Feel by MGMT. That's a good that one. It's actually maybe like when you hear that song. It probably reminds me the most of that time period, yeah. Wait till my next pick, Tim. (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) Dude, it just took poker face. (laughs) 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 Oh, yeah, so I will take uh, Electric Feel MGMT there. Mr. Tim Hall, you have two picks remaining. Here we go. Uh, Another one of the most important bands in my life, Vampire Weekend with A-Punk. There you go. I mean, enough said. It's just a fantastic song. Big Dog? I am going to I'm gonna go with Killers. I'm gonna go with When You Were Young. Ooh, great song. The build of the orchestra that the Killers have. I, I like that. I like that. Tim and I were actually talking about a Killer song the other day. I'm not gonna say it because someone I might take it. But, um, I'm not. Mitch. Uh, what is it? Pick five. Uh, you have two picks left. This is your sixth pick. We have to go to ten. I have so yeah. Much we'll go heat. to ten. We'll go to I ten. Have so we'll much heat. To- where you don't like the first five, but there's so much more heat coming from. Okay. I don't know Ready? where he's leading with that. Pick five. Party in the USA, Miley Cyrus. Let's go. It's getting insane. I mean, this guy. It's just, <laughs> we're going to have like six-year-olds listening to our playlist. That's fine. We're, we're, that's fine. You're telling me, dog, if you're 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 listening to the Killers, if Vampire you're Spotify Weekend, premium, this okay, you're right, Mitch. This is going right. to be and then, <laughs> party in the USA. and then Party in the USA comes on after that. You're not telling me you're you're out of no, your I'm, seat. You're a few BLs deep. Like, Tim's gonna <laughs> launch out of that that captain's chair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's okay. Mitch literally um, has no top ten. I will go with my sixth pick then. I will go with a, a band of, to this day, is one of the rowdiest live shows I've ever seen in my entire life. The band name is The Hives, and I will take Hate to Say I, hate to say I Told You So by The Hives. Also, I believe Tick, Tick, Boom was their song that was in Madden, yeah. but hate to, soul, hate to Say I Told You So might have been as well. I'm not sure. Great song, great front man, great band. Swedes, love it. Timmy. All right, with, is this seven? 
This is seven. your seventh. We're doing ten now. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go 20. and take that one, B-Rob, because that was, I think it was the song that got me into the Killers in the first place. And yeah. I listened to it every day for years. All these things that I've done off Hot Fuss. So good. Um, yeah, just an incredible, another one of those anthems from 2000. The 2000s were really like melodramatic. Yeah, you got to help me out. Yeah, yeah. Great song. Great. <laughs> well, it was like, yeah, it was... We're all like making there's... music for Gossip Girl. <laughs> <laughs> there's three types of of music coming out of this, other than rap. Was like a like the sports, uh, like Madden. The Madden like music. The, yeah, Madden yeah. music or like the anthem, and then uh, two was like the uh, uh, motocross and like like those video games and and that, just like the the. I don't want to give away any because there might become some coming up. Um, and then three was just like just insanely melodramatic music videos. And Tim just being little Tim. <laughs> just so into all of it. <laughs> Andrew, I believe you're up next. I am up to segue into whatever Mitch is going to say next. I'm going to take I Got a Feeling by a Black Eyed Peace because that oh, just yeah. fucked. And their yeah. Super Bowl appearance. <laughs> oh, check out their Flip Super Bowl that. appearance. Yeah. Super Bowl 45. Where was that one? That was, uh, where was that Super Bowl? I forget. Probably New York. No, it doesn't <laughs> matter, but <laughs> the Black Eyed Peas were there. And then Slash comes out, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> just when you thought it couldn't get any sicker fucking slash shows up i was like what was the guess what song the... slash was playing i'll give you one guess uh what's it pump it up you better get this party. Sweet oh, sweet oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> just... okay mitch let's hey, get to your to seventh pick um okay let's see oh okay um I'm gonna go. Hey there, Delilah. Plain white tees. Oh, oh, that's a good one. That's a good pull, actually. Classic, yeah. That's a great song. Um, okay, I will follow that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a little angsty for my next pick here. I'm gonna go to uh, the Offspring with like their song "Self Esteem" by the Offspring. <laughs> la, 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 la. Very, uh, a young Brian would get very angsty to that. So Dude. I will add that to my <laughs> Vance Perkins. Uh-huh. Yeah. Navy SEAL. In oh. his in every car that he's had since like he got a car, the one CD he has in his car is Offspring. That album. <laughs> Pure angst. It's insane. When we drove down to Mexico and went to Cabo, I think we listened to that CD maybe ten times front to back. Was it like a 39-minute album? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Twelve yeah. times, yeah, two, two and a half minute songs. Every song, that album rules. It's a great album. It's a great album. Um, all right, Timmy, to your eighth pick. Let's go with "Teenagers" by My Chemical Romance. <laughs> okay. All right, there we go. I'm gonna go with. Uh, I'm surprised no one's brought this band up. I'm gonna go with "Viva La Vida," Coldplay. Oh, oh big dog. I was thinking of Chris Martin. Yeah. That's a that's a huge one. That's two thousand eight. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I think you could make the argument like out of in terms of like 
public, like popular. Coldplay was probably the biggest band of the 2000s, in turn, right? I'm not saying they're my favorite. They had like that, The Scientist. They had a lot of yellow. Yellow. They were the kind of like the Beatles of the 2000s. (laughs) There's a lot about the Beatles. I agree, Tim. (laughs) The Beatles are a lot like Coldplay, not a real band. (laughs) Had to get that in at some point on this podcast. Um, All right, Mitch, you're up. Jeez. Uh, I'm going to go with Meant to Live Switchfoot. Oh, <laughs> I just I mean, imagine just lots of flip flops and tank tops on a beach, just shorts just, that are past the knee that are yeah, like just, plaid. The song? Um, <laughs> what was the song? S- Switchfoot. Oh, Switchfoot. Okay. Adding to the which one? <laughs> I know one song by Switchfoot. And it's called "Adding to the Noise" because it's in a baseball game. If that's the song, I will <laughs> uh, do no. something. No, what was the name of the song? <laughs> uh, meant to live. Oh boy! To live. That's what. Angsty Mitch. All right, I will go. Um, I'll I'll hit you guys with a banger. I will go to "All My Friends" by LCD Sound System as my next pick because that song fucks. Doesn't count. Sorry. Doesn't count. Doesn't count. 2009. Doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't count. God, Mitch, get me like I, uh, fuck you, Mitch. Uh, <laughs> Tim, you're up. <laughs> is this nine or ten? This, this is, is becoming tough. nine. Wow. Go to 15. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, let's just keep it going. Just, just let's 30. Just... I'm going to pull out. This is so tough. We're going to do. I'm, I'm going to stick to, you know, the songs that were important to this time and like popular and like it's The Funeral by Band of Forces. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Andrew, oh, wow. we're waiting. <laughs> Andrew, am I up right now? Yeah, yeah. Tim just. Oh, I didn't hear. Would oh, I'm gonna do bye 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 and sync. Oh. Oh. Wow. Wow, I, that needed to be included. That's that was a good game. call. Is anyone gonna take the Naked Brothers Band Crazy Car? No. <laughs> 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 uh, oh, Mitch, you're up. Uh, I'm gonna do a real one and do "Lust for Life" by Girls. There you go. That's a great fucking song. That's that a great a song. One. I'll go with uh my first fake one. I'll go "Gives You Hell" by All American Rejects. Nice. That's awesome. That song. <laughs> it is kind of <laughs> <That's loud>. loves it. <laughs> it's one of the most memorable songs. From like, what year is that? I want to say 2000. I'm gonna say 2008. Yeah, somewhere around. I don't know off the top of my head. Tim, fact check us. I know it's definitely <laughs> this is important. It's the most important question of this podcast. Yeah, Tim, can you get get, get on that, producer Tim? All American. You didn't look up gives you hell. You just looked up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just guaranteed yourself another Google search. <laughs> That's why you run the pod, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> he's still going should i start off could i do you think i could if i started right now i could find it before he does yeah uh, what's up dog how'd you like that uh, that uh 2008 2008 when the world comes down says 2007 so <laughs> 2008 on spotify 
There's just no talking. It, it does. It's share, it's, oh, Sherry, with you one that says 2007. <laughs> Tim, this is an audio format of a show. <laughs> but we now. trust you, Tim. We trust you. I mean, thank you, Tim, for the hard work there. Um, all right, Tim, you're on the clock now, too, as well. For I believe this is your last pick, Tim. With my final pick, I will take Maps by the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. Wow, that's a big. Nice. Uh, is that rock band or uh, um, guitar that's... hero? I think rock band. That's you know, guitar band. hero guitars go for like five hundred dollars now on the internet because, yeah. like, I I want I was like wanted to get it, and I was like, oh, I, I mean, like theoretically, I was like, I dropped two hundred bucks get guitar guitar hero. It's like no, I'd have to drop yeah, a yeah, grand. <laughs> you would drop two hundred dollars to get guitar hero? No, I meant actually full rock band. I did two hundred. Okay, that's how much I think it was. Rock band in the back in the day was like one seventy five. Guitar Hero, I drop like seventy five. Rock, if you can get the drum set, the bass, the guitar, and the microphone, I mean that's electric. That's electric. Remember when um, we found a whole setup in in Dale's closet in the oh, dorms? Yeah, that was wild. Why did like, we were like, what the fuck, dude? With like a month of school left. We he found out that, that he just band. had full on rock band. <laughs> and so me and Brian are like, all right, we're not going to do anything for the next week. Yeah, I just play rock band. <laughs> you're a great band. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, Tim, you just went. So Big Dog, is this your last pick then? This is my last pick. I'm going to go with Natasha Bedingfield, Unwritten. Mm. Oh, that was trending on Twitter mm. recently. Tim. She has a dump truck. <laughs> Why is she trending on Twitter? I, don't, I, I haven't been up. She did some TikTok dance where she was like twerking and Twitter lost its mind. <laughs> if I'm thinking, yeah, no, still I'm still bang. Of... 17 years later, still bangs unwritten. <laughs> Tim, see what I'm saying? That ass. It's <laughs> that all Twitter's talking about. Um, <laughs> all right, Mitch. So first Kim Kardashian broke the internet and now it's Natasha <laughs> Bedingfield. <laughs> 20 years later. Oh. Wow. <laughs> uh. This is my last pick. It is your last pick. Oh, I got a real good one. Uh, are you gonna be my girl, Jet? Ah, uh, iconic baseline. Yeah, big time. Iconic. I had that on my playlist of potential. I like that. I will end us with. Uh, I just I think this song. It's not the Strokes' biggest song, but I do think it is. It really like represents this era of music in a way in this weird like we've called it angst we've called it just like i don't know what it is about the 2000s but it's kind of like that i think in the song barely legal off is this it i didn't take no shortcuts i saved the money that i spent uh, saved up i just think that's a great one and so that's what i will do with Keep the going. strokes there Keep going, um, now you gotta subscribe to my patreon to mm. hear <laughs> full lyrics of uh, shows um gentlemen any cl- closing more. thoughts on the 2000s yeah, let me keep going. <laughs> Bring the back. First cut, again, the that's first the cut thing. is the deepest. Cheryl Crow. <laughs> Fat Lip, Psalm 41. Into hey Soul Sister, Train. Oh, train. How do go- no one pick Train? No one took I was going to. either. I came so close to picking a 90s song. I I just realized. Joker and the Thief, Wolf Mother. Kryptonite, Open Three Doors Down. Crap. Wow. <laughs> 
Hold on the ceiling, the black keys, the underdog spoon. Hold on the, the ceiling, shins, yeah. not Breaking Benjamin. Story <laughs> of my life, social distortion. Those are my, my snubs. No nickelbacks. I fully, I fully I don't think we turn my camera on by spoon. We can do pretty spears, but we're not for Island in the Sun by Weezer. Um, oh, we didn't yeah, even I put a Weezer in... song on Most of Weezer's good sun. songs are in uh, the 90s, though. Yeah, they're early. And then you get yeah, like what hash pipe and island in the sun and photograph and maybe Beverly. Actually, I don't think Beverly Hills is probably in the nineties. Um, you know all right, good one? your body is yeah. a wonderland, John Mayer. Oh fuck, we didn't get John, John Mayer. Mayer. Yeah. Shit, goddamn. Yeah. Well, well folks, <laughs> yeah. Uh, subscribe to the Patreon. Just kidding. We don't have a Patreon, so don't try and find that. Um, <laughs> Uh, just, just follow me on Twitter. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, and follow Natasha Bettingfield on Twitter as well. Just search that right now. Okay, gentlemen. Always a pleasure. We'll talk to you guys next time. I think we need to do an 80s show. Maybe bring, call, yeah. Give Jeff Robin, get Jeff Robbins into the mix of this or something. That'd be funny. I'm uh, surprised that wasn't your first one. I know it's just there's honestly so much expectations on it for me personally like I just like if I'm gonna do 80s I need to do 80s perfectly because it's so important and beautiful so that's we'll a tease expects that and we'll, we'll do that um, alright gentlemen we'll talk to you guys next time uh, God bless this has been the pineapple couch Tim's getting a mic he's gonna be on a lot more pretty sure mine be better than B-Rubs I don't <laughs> think so but <laughs> he's feeling better than Mitch. He's going to get a better microphone. <laughs> Tim, did you have the best draft? Uh, pretty sure. Mine was better, at least. This <laughs> is better draft than the other contestants, but it's not the best. <laughs> I love that. This has been the Pineapple Couch. We'll see you next time.